Well, based on the music, I think I'm going to change the title of my sermon from Recipe for a Rich Marriage to the Apostle Paul and the Temple of Doom. That's <laughs> during part of that last song, which I thought was just wonderful. I, I felt like I was in an Indiana Jones movie or something and I uh, thought maybe I should just preach something different, be contextual this morning. But I'm going to ask you to join me in standing this morning and we're going to pray and ask God uh, to use this time to instruct us, to change us, to encourage and motivate us. And again, just uh, we can be thankful that God has given us such a great gift as music that can inspire us, lift our spirits, fill us with joy and particularly such gifted young people who uh, share that with us. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to be a part of your family this morning. We want to thank you for the many good gifts that you have given us. Father, we think of the beauty outside with the incredibly blue skies and the white snow. And we think of the gift of music that you give. And Father, one of the great gifts that you've given us is marriage. The ability to live in partnership with another human being and to truly reflect the reality of the Trinity, the reality of Jesus and his church to the world around us. Father, I pray this morning as we look into your word that you would use it to instruct us, that you would use it to challenge us and most importantly to change us so that we might be the people that you desire us to be, the people that you in fact have created us to be. Father, we pray that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be sharp. And, Father, that we would have a willing spirit to attend to anything that you point out in our lives that needs to be changed. And that, Father, we might leave here with just a few more insights of how we can live our lives in a way that reflects Jesus and his love to the world. So, again, Father, we trust you to do these things and we'll give you thanks in Christ's matchless name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a few years ago, I was I read the Saturday Evening Post, which ran an article that traced the tendency of marriages to evolve over time. And I think it's appropriate uh, to do this uh, sermon on marriage since you just had the, the retreat or the conference this last weekend. But the Saturday Evening Post kind of took a little humorous turn and they followed a fictitious husband and wife and how the husband responded to the wife's colds and illnesses over a seven year period of time. And so see if this resonates with you at all. But uh, here's how it went in the first year. The wife is sniffling and coughing and the husband says, sugar dumpling. I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle and there's no telling about these things with all this strep going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food's lousy, but I'll bring you meals from famous Dave's. I put that in there. <laughs> I've already got it arranged with the nursing superintendent. Year two. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough, so I'll call the doctor to rush right over here to take care of my poopsie. Now you go to bed like a good girl, please, just for Papa. Third year. Honey, maybe you'd better lie down. Nothing like rest when you're feeling a little punk. I'll bring you something to eat. Do we have any canned soup around the house? Year four. Look, dear, be sensible. After you feed the kids, put them to bed and get the dishes washed, you'd better hit the sack early. 
You don't sound too good. Year five. You sound terrible. Why don't you go get yourself a couple of aspirin? Sixth year. Boy, I wish you would gargle or something instead of just sitting around barking like a seal all day. And then year seven, the seven year itch. For Pete's sake, would you stop sneezing on everyone? What you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? Now, I'm sure none of us resonate with that kind of evolution in our marriage relationship. But the reality is uh, marriages do change over time, don't they? Any of us who've been married for any length of time know the transformation that can take place in marriage. And it happens to us guys as husbands, doesn't it? I mean, uh, during the dating years, uh, while we're kind of engaged or kind of preparing for engagement and to ask that pop that big question, I mean, we are attentive romantics. We are writing love letters and we're doing everything to make her know that she's the center of our universe. And then oftentimes a few years into marriage, uh, the love letters go by the wayside and we're no longer bringing them flowers and writing the, the love notes. And we turn into these balding couch potatoes who seem genetically attached to a television remote. And our wife wonders, what happened? But, you know, ladies, it's not just us guys that change. You change a little bit, too. I remember how uh, I was always kind of courted with my favorite chocolate desserts and and how Sue would do all kinds of great things for me and make my favorite meals and and even pretended to enjoy sporting events. I mean, and, and she even made me feel like she did like sporting events. But, ladies, sometimes after we've been married a few years, there's no more favorite meals or desserts. Now it's Pizza Hut and Pop Tarts and you hate any kind of sports, especially anything that we might happen to be watching at the minute. I mean, the reality is marriage sometimes changes. An interesting transformation can take place between year one and year seven or year seven and year 50. So how is it that we can have a vibrant, healthy, enjoyable marriage that doesn't just survive through the years, but that actually thrives through the years and grows more and more meaningful and special with every passing year. I mean, the reality is that is possible. It is possible to love one another more and have more excitement and intensity in your marriage today than you ever dreamed of having 10 or 20 years ago. It's possible. It's just that we've got to learn how to be the right people for one another. We often are looking for our partner to become the right person. But truly, the answer is being the right person, not expecting someone else to become the right person. Well, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians uh, talks to us about how we can live out our role as the church, as members of the body of Christ in the marriage relationship. And so I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. We're going to look at verses 21 through 33 this morning, because Paul shares with us what's really required if we want to have that kind of growing, thriving marriage relationship. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not married, there's a 
fairly high likelihood that someday you will be married. And so this is applicable to you as well. And those of you who maybe feel called by God to a life uh, as a single, well, this is also applicable because it'll help you know when to whop up one of your married friends alongside of the head, you know, when they're being stupid. And so it applies to all of us equally. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For, the hus- for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. So no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two become united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, in summary, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now, from this passage, I really see two ingredients in a recipe for a rich marriage relationship, two ingredients in a recipe for a rich marriage relationship. And the first ingredient in this this recipe for a successful growing marriage is that a husband should sacrificially love his wife. Now, you probably notice because you have a keen sense for the obvious that Husband comes second in the passage and wife comes first. But I really think husband comes second because that's what Paul really wants to emphasize in the passage. And the key to understanding this entire passage is verse 21. Look at it again with me. Paul says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, the context of all of these verses that we don't often hear much about is that the context is one of mutual submission. Husband and wife mutually submitting to one another. Why? Ultimately, out of reverence for Christ. That's why we do it. And Paul says here that this entire uh, these entire passage on submission is in this context of mutual submission. In fact, Paul goes to great uh, extents to really say that the husband is the one who needs to set the greatest example when it comes to this mutual submission. Look again what Paul says in verses 25 through 29. Husbands, get a step on all of our toes first and then ladies, uh, you're next. But he says for husbands. Now, listen to this. He says, verse 21 and further, submit to one another. Okay, and then he says, 
For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave him, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this, why? To present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Now, it's interesting here. Paul says that as husbands, we are called to sacrificially love our wives. And how do we sacrificially love our wives? Exactly like Christ loved the church. And guys, how did Christ love the church? He loved the church so much that he was willing to sacrifice his very life as a common criminal and die a humiliating public death because he loved the church so much that he sacrificed everything. And it wasn't just his life on earth that he sacrificed. He sacrificed leaving paradise seated at the right hand of God the Father, and came to earth as a mundane human being, as a, as a babe in a manger. Always God, but yet he submitted and became man because he loved the church. And he was sacrificing his life. And why did he do this, Paul asks? Why, why did he sacrifice his life for the church? This is very interesting to me and for us as husbands to present her as a glorious church without blemish. You see, one of the reasons we should sacrificially love our wives as Christ loves the church is because by doing that, we are setting an example of supreme love. And by doing that, we are hopefully motivating our wives to respond out of a love towards our sacrifice. And by loving them that way, we are actually playing a part in creating the woman that we dream of being in relationship with. See, Christ died for the church to present to himself A glorious church without spot or without wrinkle. He wanted to show such an example and and to make such a sacrifice that we in the church would be motivated by his sacrifice and his love to live holy and blameless lives pleasing to him. Isn't that right? And guys, when we live that kind of life and sacrificially love our wives The same kind of response can take place where our wives want to please us. They want to live in relationship with us, just as we want that woman in a special way to live in a relationship with us. But it begins by us setting the example of loving our wife as Christ loved the church. I'm here to tell you, if your philosophy is to tell your wife to submit, the battle is already lost. It's a lost cause. Number one, if you have to tell her to submit, it's it's lost. But if you continually think that's how you're going to make it happen is submit, woman, you know, come on. The Bible says, well, the Bible says sacrifice your life for your wife. 
because that's what Christ did for the church. Now, how exactly can we do that in a very practical way on a daily basis? Well, guys, do you happen to know what your wife's talents and gifts are? One of the ways that you can sacrificially love your wife is to identify and help her identify her gifts and her talents and then do whatever it takes to nurture those and to help equip her. Maybe it means that you take a night or two nights a week and you watch the kids and clean the house and wash the dishes so your wife can go to some continuing education or to go to some kind of uh, things where she gets you know, training in some of her gifts and her talents. I don't know what it might be, but you do. And that's your job, guys, to figure that out. So that you can love her sacrificially. Maybe it means that sometimes you don't watch the exciting golf tournament on television or or the tennis match on television or one of the 165 baseball games during the year so that you can go for a walk with your wife. Wow, wouldn't that blow her mind? Honey, let's go for a walk down by the lake tonight. Huh? Really? What, are you taking your fishing pole or, you know, no, honey, I just want to be with you. I just want to let's just walk and talk. You know, I mean, that, that's a way to really, you know, uh, get her messed up. She, she wouldn't know what to do. But taking time to sacrifice our wants and our desires and what we like to do so that we can be with her and do the things that she wants to do. And, and, and really stretching to this, this to the limit is saying, honey, why don't we go shopping this weekend? You know? And really giving her input on what looks good. And, you know, I know that's dangerous territory, but you can do it. I have faith in you. Another way we can sacrificially love our wife is just by thanking her on a regular basis for all that she does day in and day out to keep the household going and laundry and whatever her role is in your home to actually say, thank you, honey. You do an incredible job. I don't know how you do it. But I am so grateful that you do. And you're such a blessing to us and to the kids. You're the greatest mom our kids could ever have. Our wives need to know that they're appreciated. You can't just tell them uh, once and, and that's good for 20 years. You know, and if you change your mind, you'll tell her, you know. No, she needs to know constantly that you appreciate what she's doing, that it's making a difference in your life and the lives of the family. Another way you can sacrificially love your wives is by actually letting her in to your life. Let her in to your life. Your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your stress. Really allow her to be a part of your inside. Not wearing this, you know, stone face and always having to be on top and in control, but actually letting her be a part. Our wives want to be a part of the inside of our lives, our emotions, our spiritual life. It creates a connection like nothing else we can do will. But we have to be vulnerable to do that. Just like Jesus sacrificing his life, experiencing even public humiliation for the sake of his bride, the church. We're called to love our wives in the same way. You know, I'm afraid that all too often as guys, we communicate to our wives that just about everything in our lives is more important to us than our wife. I mean, our tools, 
our fishing rods, you know, our shotguns, our dogs, our golf buddies. I mean, it's almost like the way we live. Sometimes we communicate that all of these other things in life are more important than her. And we've got to learn that sometimes we've got to lay aside these other things so that we can sacrificially love our wives like Christ loved the church. Now, the name Wallace Warfield Simpson probably doesn't mean a lot to, to many of us. Now, some of us who are older will catch on to that name. But Wallace Warfield Simpson was a young divorcee and a young American girl who met Prince Edward who was in line to become the king of England. And Prince Edward, the Prince of Wales, fell head over heels in love with this twice-divorced young American woman. Not long after he met her and fell in love, he ascended to the throne as the king of England. But he still loved her. Well, the Church of England said he could not marry her because she'd been twice divorced and also she was American and all these other kinds of rules back then. And so he had to make a choice. Was he going to remain the mo- one of the most powerful men with all of the wealth and all of the perks of being the king of England? Or would he sacrifice it all because of his love for War- Wallace Warfield Simpson? And as we know, King Edward abdicated the throne eliminated his lineage forever from being in line for the throne, all because of a love for this woman. He sacrificed being the king of England. And they ended up having a 40-year marriage relationship where they were just completely enthralled with one another. Very rarely did they ever spend time apart. If you ever see pictures of them uh, together when they're in informal settings, you can see them looking at one another, just almost mesmerized by one another. Can you imagine how that young American woman felt when she learned that the king of England was abdicating his throne for her because he loved her and wanted to be married to her? Boy, that had to make her feel like a million bucks. Just like we feel when we know that our king abdicated his throne and came to earth and sacrificed his life for us. And it makes us want to respond with love and obedience and and being the kind of people he died so that we could be. Exactly the same way that as we as husbands will sacrifice our lives and love our wives sacrificially, our wives will want to respond. And be the kind of women that we want to be in relationship with and that they want to be in relationship with us. I think that's the first ingredient in in a successful uh, recipe for marriage. And that is husbands sacrificially loving our wives. But there's a second ingredient, ladies, and that is a wife who responds to her husband's sacrificial love. Now, again, remember, this is all in the context of mutual submission one to another out of reverence. For Christ. Now, submission isn't always a terrible thing, ladies. I I just recently read a definition of submission that was a little unique. And it said submission is knowing when to duck so God can hit your husband. Now, (laughs) I don't think that's from the Greek, but it sounds pretty good to me. I kind of like that idea. But listen to what Paul says here uh, to the women, to the wives, beginning in verse 22. He says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, first of all, a couple of items of context again. The whole submission of wives is in the context of your own husband. Ladies, you are not biblically required to submit to any other man on planet Earth other than your husband in this way. Now, all of us have to submit to different men, you know, presidents, police officers, you know, whatever it is. But in this context, Paul is not in any way saying that women are inferior, that they're not as gifted, that they're not as talented or any of those things. The, the whole thing he's saying here is in the, in the context of your husband. And the reason is because God has created an order for the family, just like there's orders in your office and orders at Bethel University and orders at Trinity International University and orders in the symphonic band that there has to be some kind of order if organizations or institutions are going to function effectively. And God created this order. Now, the word submit that Paul uses here is a military term. And it refers to military officers lining themselves up appropriately according to their role in the military. So if you're a general, you order yourself appropriately. If you're a private, you order yourself appropriately. If you're a major or a captain or a lieutenant, you have to fall in line and fill your appropriate role. Because if a lieutenant tries to act like a general, the army is not going to work. If everyone in the symphonic band here wanted to be the director and no one wanted to play the instruments, it wouldn't be very pretty or sound very good. If everyone wanted to be the president, I don't know why anyone would want to, but you get the picture. There is an order. And in the marriage, God has placed the husband as the one responsible for the wife and responsible for that marriage relationship. And God calls the wife to respond to that role. The husband needs to fill his role. The wife needs to fulfill her role. And oftentimes that means that she has got to line herself up in that organization that God has created in the family. And so one of the ingredients in a in a rich marriage is that wives have got to respond to the sacrificial love of their husbands by submitting themselves to the role that God has given them. Now, let me just have a little caveat here, and that is this. Ladies, if you don't want to fill that role, don't get married. Don't get married. Guys, if you don't want to sacrificially love a lady like Christ loved the church and lay your life aside for her benefit, then don't get married because it's not going to work. Two people who are bent on pleasing themselves and serving themselves and getting the most out of life for themselves. It, a marriage is not going to work that way because God didn't create it that way. And so you've got to decide. Now, there are plenty of couples that try to do it their own way and try to kind of reconstruct the order that God created. And I'm here to tell you, after 22 years of marriage counseling, it doesn't work. It just doesn't. Because God has ordained this particular order for a healthy kind of family life. Now, we all hear what submission is. Let me share three things, ladies, that submission is not. 
Okay, and guys, I want you to listen very carefully to this as well. Three things that biblical submission is not. First of all, biblical submission is not slavish obedience. Biblical submission is not slavish obedience. When Paul tells the wives to submit to your own husband, he's not he's not suggesting you become a slavish, barefoot maiden who waits on a job of the hut kind of guy, you know, 24 hours a day and and goes and gets his, you know, pop and and chips every time he snaps his finger while he's watching the game. That's not biblical submission. And if a guy says, hey, you better submit, you know, I mean, that's ridiculous. And most of us know that. But you are not required to do everything your husband tells you to do, particularly if it's unbiblical. You are called to a higher law, and that is the scriptural law. If you're required or your husband wants you to do something that's unbiblical and not glorifying to God. Also, if it's physically harmful to you. I mean, I think we need to exercise common sense. It's not slavish obedience. Secondly, biblical submission is not mindless agreement. God does not expect ladies when they get married to put their intelligence in a bucket or a wash basin and just mindlessly agree with everything that their husband says. That's not biblical submission. Marriage is a partnership. The wife brings to the marriage what the husband lacks. We work together as partners in a relationship. Now, there are very, 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 very few times when you might come to a very important decision where there's ultimately disagreement. Now, I've been married for 26 years and I can really only think of one time that has ever happened in our marriage relationship. And that is when we were um, living in Southern California. We were thinking about leasing the house that we own out so that we could rent a larger house because our family had grown. And this particular house happened to be on a bridal trail with its own corral. And I just happened to own a horse. And so it all seemed to fit pretty nicely together from my perspective. Now, Sue seemed a little uneasy about it all along. Why would we lease our house out and get into that kind of mess and then rent somebody else's house? But, you know, it all worked out in my mind pretty good. Well, we were getting ready to sign the papers. The day we signed the paper, Sue came to me in tears and said, Sam, I, I just do not feel good about this. I mean, this is after I pictured my horse in my corral on my bridal paddle, you know, and I, it made me mad. You know, just it made me really mad. What are you doing? The last day we're getting ready to sign. You know, how could you do this to me kind of thing? Well, it made me real stomping mad. I said, OK, fine. And we're not going to do it. And, oh, man, I was not happy. But since she didn't agree, I decided it wasn't worth it. Six months later, we got a call to a church in another state a long ways away that was a perfect fit for us. And if I had done that boneheaded deed, we couldn't have responded to that call. And and so, you know, really, Sue saved our bacon in that instance by. But she was willing to go with it. She just didn't agree with it. And I thank God daily that she had the courage to say, Sam, I just don't think it's right. I don't think we should do it. I don't feel good about it. I know you want your horse back there and all that kind of stuff, but it just doesn't feel good to me. Well, thankfully, someone was listening to the Lord in our marriage relationship because I wasn't. I was listening to my horse, you know, (laughs) and you know what happens when you start listening to a horse. It's not a not a good thing. 
But submission is not mindless agreement. It's okay to challenge some of your husband's decisions intellectually. But the the whole the important thing is, how do you do that? Is it with anger and, you know, putting him down and, you know, that kind of thing? Or is it, honey, you know, we need to really think about this. And, and ultimately, though, at some point, because God has made him responsible for the marriage relationship, ultimately, let him cook his own goose. You know, just sit back and say, OK, if that, you know, I don't agree with it, but I'm going to follow you. You know, I wouldn't advise saying I told you so later, but um, you know, still, you know, you can kind of take your hands off and go, OK, I did my part. I challenged and I'm going to go with you, honey. Um, so it's not mindless agreement. Finally, submission is not second class citizenship. Submitting yourself to your husband is not second class citizenship. Look at verse 23 again here in verse five. In chapter five, it says here in verse 23, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Paul says here, he makes this analogy that the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. Now, let me ask you this, because Christ is the head of the church. Does that make Christ superior to or somehow better than or have a more important role in the church than God the Father does? No, because Christ is the head of the church. Does that mean he's more important and, and is you know, somehow superior to the, God, the Holy Spirit in his role in the church? No. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, all participate in the church. They're all responsible for bringing the church to life, but they all have specific, significant roles to follow in the life of the church. And Christ is the head of the church, the one that saved the church. And the same is true in marriage, just because the man is said to be the head of the wife does not mean he is superior or that he is better or more intelligent or more gifted or smarter or anything like that. It just simply means that there are different roles. The wife has a role. The husband has a role. The kids have a role. I think in-laws have a role. But in marriage, you know, we have our roles. And it doesn't mean that by submitting you're a second class citizen. It means that you're filling the role that God has ordained for you to fill. And when we fill our roles, marriage can be the most beautiful, the most amazing experience on planet Earth. But when either one of us begins to buck our roles and doesn't want to do what God has called us to do, marriage can literally be hell on Earth. And so we've got to decide, are we willing as a husband and a wife to add those ingredients together of sacrificial love and a loving response to that sacrifice to create the kind of marriage relationship that God has designed and wants to gift us with? Not long ago, I read uh, Norman Schwarzkopf's biography. And and they cover the years of the Persian Gulf War when he was the supreme commander, you know, four star general. And he told his superiors what he needed to battle the 400,000 strong Iraqi army that was entrenched on the Saudi Arabian border. And he told them how much time he would need to amass all of the troops and supplies. But four days before he was ready, 
Dick Cheney, who was then the secretary of defense, came to him and said, you've got to go now. And Schwarzkopf said, I told you, I can't go now. I need four more days. I've got all kinds of things to do yet. The plan is not ready. But Cheney said, you've got to go today. And he argued with the secretary of defense. He made his case against the secretary of defense. He said, it's not going to work to the secretary of defense. And the secretary of defense said, it's a go now. And because Norman Schwarzkopf is a general and knows the role that he's supposed to fulfill in our military, he obeyed, even though it didn't make sense, even though he thought it was going to be disastrous or it'd be much more difficult than he had planned. And we all know that, you know, that was a smashing success. But could you imagine if that general Norman Schwarzkopf had refused to do what he was being ordered to do? It would have been utter chaos. Because that's how the military is designed to operate. We all have our roles that we have got to fulfill. And if we want to enjoy a satisfying, healthy marriage relationship, we need to realize one ingredient is the husband's sacrificial love. And another ingredient is the wife's response to that sacrificial love by submitting herself to the role that God has given her in the relationship, always remembering that it's in the context of mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, one action step, one action step this morning, and it's primarily for those of us who are married or maybe you're in a relationship and you could apply this as well. And that is I'd really encourage you to take a night out this week and maybe as a result of the conference, you've already had to do something like this, but take a night out this week. And husbands, ask your wives for honest feedback on how well you're fulfilling your role by loving her sacrificially, laying aside your life and your interest, you know, within reason, ladies, um, to, to provide and to be a part of a healthy marriage relationship and allow her to speak her mind and to share with you uh, what she's thinking and If she doesn't think you're doing that, ask for specific ways that you could demonstrate your sacrificial love for her. Honey, what can I do to love you more and and to allow you to sense that better and more consistently? And then, ladies, ask your husbands. Now, how well do you feel I'm responding to your sacrificial love? How, How could I do that better? How could we encourage one another to fulfill the roles God has given us better and and work at it as a team or as a partnership and together determine how you can both provide the ingredients that are necessary for a rich and rewarding marriage relationship. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much that your word is so practical, that it applies to our daily relationships and the way we live. And Father, there's No better example, no better testimony that we as Christians can provide to the world than simply loving our spouse, as you've called us to. Father, we know you've told us that uh, Jesus has told us that the world will know we are Christians because of our love. And there's no context in which that is more important or more powerful than in the marriage relationship. Father, we pray that. Each of us in our marriages might bring the appropriate ingredients so that we might have a very rich and rewarding relationship that spills over onto our children and our friends and our grandkids 
and really sets an example for them as well. And Father, we'll trust you to do this as we allow your spirit to fill us and guide us in Christ's name. Amen.